Well, good morning uh, to each of you who have uh, chosen to join us this morning. Let me begin by saying Happy Easter, or better yet, Happy Resurrection Sunday. And uh, once again, I know that we're separated, uh, you know, with the social distancing. I'm here and you're there. Uh, but man, I'm excited to be with you this morning. We've gathered together online to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And, and truly, uh, just as the Apostle Paul wrote to the church of Corinth, uh, we too can rejoice because the sting of death, right, and the uncertainty of the grave has been overcome. Yes, truly, as believers, we can honestly say, thanks be to God who giveth us the victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Uh, if you haven't already done so, I want to encourage you this morning, grab your Bible, follow along with me. We're going we're gonna, to uh, walk through a passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 27. And while you're turning there to Matthew 27, I want to uh, welcome all those who are joining us for the first time, or maybe the first time in a while. I want you to know you have honored us with your presence. And how do I know you're there? I don't. <laughs> so I pray that you'll connect with us. And on the screen there, you'll find a little prayer uh, request box. And I would encourage you to use that uh, box to connect with us. Leave us a short note to let us know you joined uh, with us today. And also, I want to encourage you, if there is something that we can be praying for you, for your family or your friends during this time, maybe you know somebody who is in need of prayer. Certainly, we all need prayer. But maybe you know somebody who needs special prayer during this time. I'd encourage you to leave that. It would be my honor and privilege to be able to pray for you and those that you know and love um, during this time. All right, this morning, let's look in God's Word in Matthew chapter 27. And as we get started, I want us to consider what many have referred to uh, over the years as probably one of the most important and inescapable questions that every human being must face. Honestly, it's a personal question. Uh, uh, it's a pressing question uh, that sooner or later every one of us will have to give an answer to. And uh, in our text, as you'll see here in just a few moments of time, in our text, it's a question that the Roman governor of Judea, a man by the name of Pontius Pilate, asked uh, during the illegal trial of Jesus Christ. And so as we get started, uh, before we read our text, I want you to know a couple of things about Pilate. Um, he was the Roman governor of Judea. And as the Roman governor, he would have been a well-trained man, commissioned uh, not only in government and politics, but he would have been commissioned by Rome to act as the judge, as the prosecuting attorney, as the defense attorney in all matters considering um, the Roman law. Uh, and like I said, this is a guy who was experienced, right? He had been in... Uh, his position at this point for about 10 years, which tells us that Rome trusted Pilate. Um, Pilate was a man who, uh, let's just say he didn't get along with everybody. Uh, he had his own uh, uh, enemies, if you please. Someone that he didn't get along with very well was uh, Herod. And many of you may have heard the name Herod. Sometimes he's been referred to as King Herod or Herod Antipas. Um, he was the Tetrarch over Galilee. And Tetrarch just simply means that he was ruler over one quarter of the Roman Empire. And, uh, and he and Pilate did not get along. Uh, but we know from Scripture that Herod was the, uh, was the guy who uh, ultimately 
uh, had John the Baptist beheaded. And as we'll see in Scripture here in a couple of minutes of time, he also treated Jesus uh, with a lot of contempt uh, before his trial and crucifixion. And so uh, history records a lot of this information for us, and I'd encourage you to do your own research and study uh, to find out the backstories and all the significant uh, individuals surrounding this trial and crucifixion of our Lord and Savior. Um, history also records that the Jews, they actually despised Pontius Pilate, this Roman governor of Judea. They, they despised him, and, and really he despised them. Uh, most notably was his hatred for their intense religious practices. And, and so Pilate, uh, there was no love lost, I guess you could say. Um, and the bottom line is they didn't like one another. But let's take our, our, our Bible and let's begin reading in, in verse number 11 of Matthew 27. I'm going to read for a little while, uh, but just hang with me. We're going to read uh, verses 11 uh, through 26. And so let's begin. In verse number 11, the Bible says, And Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest. And when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then Pilate said unto him, Hearest thou not how many things they witness against thee? And he answered him to never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. Now at that feast... The governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would. And they then had a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. And when he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, have thou nothing to do with that just man? And so she's speaking of Jesus here in verse number 19. She says, have nothing to do with that just man, for I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said unto them, whether of the twain will ye that I release unto you? And they said, Barabbas. And Pilate said unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? And they all say unto him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why? What evil hath he done? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. And when Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that the rather a tumult, a tumult was uh, made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. Then all the people and, uh, and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when they had scourged Jesus, notice these words, he delivered him to be crucified. Let's open up with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity again to gather together. And Lord, I pray that... Uh, as we look at a few passages of Scripture this morning, God, that you might open up the eyes of our understanding, that your word might fall upon the good soil of our hearts, and God, that you might uh, use it uh, to do a good work in each and every one that is watching or listening today. Lord, I pray that if there's somebody that has joined us today for our Easter worship services, that 
has never called out upon the name of the Lord for the forgiveness of sin, that today might be the day of their eternal salvation. God, we thank you so much uh, for the fact that Jesus is alive today. Lord, we celebrate that. We're thankful for that. I pray that you'll be with us now during these next few moments of time as we study your word. And God, as, uh, as you allow us to see some things, God, I pray that you'll encourage our hearts. But Lord, I also pray that you will challenge us uh, really to, to, to make a decision today to live our lives in a way that brings you honor and brings you glory. God, I pray that you'll have your will and your way in each and every heart and mind today, and we'll give you the praise for it all. And we ask this in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, and for his sake, we say amen and amen. And so let's look back in Matthew's uh, gospel in Matthew chapter 27. And, and, and the reality is that Matthew's gospel only gives us the bare facts, right, concerning Jesus's trial. And, and we know Scripture, if you look in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll find that every gospel account gives you uh, text after text of why these, these religious leaders, so to speak, wanted to crucify Jesus. In fact, even in Matthew chapter 27 and verse number 18, Pilate, he understood that it was because of envy that they had delivered Jesus. He knew that they were jealous of Jesus. And so there were a number of reasons why they didn't like Jesus, right? Uh, but the reality is for the backstory, if you look over in Matthew chapter 26, the real reason, the main reason, is because the chief priests and the elders had considered Jesus to be a blasphemer. They, they accused him of blasphemy. In fact, if you look in Matthew 26 and beginning in verse number 63, what you'll find is at this point, uh, Jesus has been brought before the scribes, the elders, and, and uh, a man by the name of Caiaphas. And Caiaphas is the high priest. And, and in verse number 63, we find Caiaphas addressing Jesus. And what you need to know is that before this, they had brought a lot of false witnesses in to try to say this or that or the other about Jesus Christ. And none of the things that were said uh, were, were charges uh, that could stick or hold. And so it was a lot of uh, false accusations, if you please. And so Caiaphas, in verse number 63, he actually questions Jesus and he says these words. In verse number 63, he says, I adjure thee by the living God. And so what he's saying right here, notice, I adjure thee by the living God. He's saying, I'm putting you under oath, which is kind of ironic. Caiaphas is putting God under oath of the living God. But anyway, let's continue on. He says, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. And if you notice in verse number 64, the very first thing that Jesus says, he says, thou hast said. Now just stop right there for a second. Jesus is saying, the answer is yes, I am. Listen, he's saying, yes, I am. He says, I am the Christ. I am the Son of God. And notice he goes on to say in verse number 64, he says, nevertheless, I say unto you, he says, hereafter you shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. And, and although we could look back in the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 10 verse 6 and Leviticus 21 verse 10. And we could find in Old Testament scripture that for a high priest to rend his clothes, right, or his garment. Now, I don't know if Caiaphas was wearing his official cloak or not, but it was unlawful for the high priest to rend his clothes. But here in our text, look back in verse number 65. 
of Matthew 26 because that's exactly what he does. And, and then he says these words. He says, he has spoken blasphemy. What further need we have we of witnesses? He says, behold, now you have heard his blasphemy. And he goes on and he says, what think ye? In verse 66, he says, what think ye? They answered and said, he is guilty of death. So Caiaphas says, hey, listen, we've heard all that we need to hear. We don't need to hear anything else. It's time to get rid of this guy. It's time to put him to death. And in verse number 67 of Matthew chapter 26, the guys that are holding Jesus, the Bible says that they begin spitting on his face. They begin hitting him or buffeting him. And that means that they, they had doubled their fists and they were beating Jesus for what he had said. And then it also says that they were slapping him on his face or in his mouth for having said these things to the high priest. And if you confirm scripture over in Luke chapter 23, you find that after this they deliver Jesus unto this Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. And the reality is they had to have a charge that would not only suffice in their religious laws, they had to have a charge that would stick according to Roman law. And so in Luke chapter 23, in verse number 2, we see very clearly that they charge him before Pilate of treason. And in verse number 2, notice what the Bible says. It says, And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ a king. Now, all throughout Scripture, we can see all of the responses of every one of the people groups that were involved in this gruesome ordeal concerning Jesus' uh, illegal trial and his crucifixion, his death, and his burial, and ultimate resurrection, right? And so we can see the responses of all the people. But I want you to know, I mentioned before I told you a little bit about Pilate, that I wanted us to consider the most important and inescapable questions that every human being must face. And that question is found in our text in Matthew chapter 27, verse number 22. Notice what Pilate says again. He says these words, What shall I do with Jesus which is called Christ? Now hold on a second, Pilate. What do you mean, what shall you do? You're the governor. You're the judge. You're the uh, defense attorney. Not that you really uh, did much to uh, persuade the people, but you're the judge, you're the defense attorney, and you're the prosecuting attorney. Why are you asking everybody else what you should do? You had it in your authority to make the decision. But what we find is instead of doing his job, Pilate tries to put the onus back on the Jewish people to answer the question. He knows that Jesus is innocent. And so Pilate, if you look at our text, he comes up with a scheme, right? He comes up with a scheme in a way that he can answer his own question, right? He's asking the people, what shall I do with Jesus, which is called Christ? But really what he's trying to figure out is what am I going to do, right? He's trying to answer it himself. And we know from Scripture, and you can look in all the gospel accounts, in order to promote goodwill within the Jewish community, it was a custom during the Feast of the Passover uh, for Pilate to release a prisoner uh, back unto the people. And so Pilate is obviously setting up this, this scheme. He, he believes that he has a way to set Jesus free. And so as we read, he offers uh, a, 
almost like a prisoner exchange, if you will, between Jesus and a man called Barabbas. Now, that's really cool. He says, hey, who, who do you want to release, Jesus or Barabbas? But who is Barabbas? And so you have to look in all the gospel accounts to really get a real picture of who Barabbas was. In our text, Matthew says that he was a notable prisoner. In Mark and Luke's gospel, they say that Barabbas was guilty of sedition and he was also uh, guilty of murder. And if you read John's gospel, John says that he's also a robber. So when I put all of those things together, what I find is that Barabbas is a bad dude. And in verse 20, notice the Bible says in verse number 20 that they persuaded the multitude, all the people, they persuaded the multitude that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. And so their scheme works. The chief priests, the, the elders, they go, they send their minions out, and it works because two verses later, the Bible tells us in verse number 20, uh, 22 that all the people, they're referring to Jesus, they say, let him be crucified. So Pilate says, who should I release, this notable prisoner or Jesus? And they get him worked up into this fevered pitch, and they say, let Jesus be crucified. And Pilate, in verse number 23, says, why? What evil has he done? And the people, the Bible says, the people cried out the more. They cried out even more, saying, let him be crucified. In Luke's gospel, if you look over in Luke 23, the people along with the chief priest and, and the rulers, the, their anger escalates to a fevered pitch. And what we find is that in verse number 18 of Luke 23, they say, away with him, away with this man. Release unto us. They say, release unto us Barabbas. It's incredible to me. They continue in verse 21. It says that they, they shout out, crucify him, crucify him. So in a very short period of time, this crowd has been worked up into a frenzy. And so what we find in Scripture is that the people, they answer Pilate's question. They say, let him be crucified. And along with the chief priests, the scribes and the elders and and all these others, they actually were involved in those answers as well, but they take it a step further. In addition to their constant call for Jesus to be crucified and Barabbas to be released, they actually uh, take it up a notch, if you please. Because in John's Gospel, in John chapter 19 and verse 14 and 15, Notice what the Bible says. It says, and it was the preparation of the Passover and about the sixth hour. And he, speaking of Pilate, saith unto the Jews, behold your king. And in verse 15, the Bible says that they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. And then Pilate saith unto them, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, watch, we have no king but Caesar. How incredible is this? These self-proclaimed men of righteousness, they despise Jesus Christ so much that they willingly declare their allegiance to a king that they absolutely hated. They despised Pilate. They, de they despised him. And they despised Herod. They despised Caesar. And so they actually not only answer Pilate's question by saying, crucify him, they actually say, we have no king but Caesar. This is a grotesque travesty of justice. But the reality is Pilate has to answer his own question as well. And we can look in all the gospel accounts and see how he answered his own question. Remember, he says, what shall I do uh, with Jesus, which is called Christ, right? 
And so his first answer is over in Luke 23 and verse 6 and 7. He says, I'm going to send him away. I'm not going to deal with it. I'm going to send him away. He finds out that Jesus is, is a, a, a Galilean. He says, oh, is he a Galilean? He says, well, I'll send him to Herod. That's his jurisdiction. And so he sends Jesus uh, to Herod. And, and when Jesus gets over to Herod, Herod kind of thinks that Jesus has come uh, to perform uh, miracles on demand, if you please. He treats him like a magician. And then he mocks Jesus. And then because he can find no fault in him, he sends him right on back to Pilate. And so Pilate says, I'll send him away. That doesn't work. And then he says, well, guess what? I'll just release him. I don't find any fault in him. So he says, I'll release him. And in fact, if you were to read Luke's gospel, do you know that Luke's gospel, chapter 23, Pilate tries to release Jesus three times. Three separate times he tries to release Jesus because he finds no fault in him. In fact, look at, uh, let me flip over and look at verse number four. In verse number four of Luke 23, the Bible says, Then said Pilate to the chief priest and the people, I find no fault in this man. In verse 13, drop down to verse 13 and following. And Pilate, when he had called together the chief priest and the rulers and the people, he said unto them, You have brought this man unto me as one that perverteth the people. And he says, And behold, I, having examined him before you, he said, I did this examination in front of your faces. Notice what he says. He says, I have found no fault in this man touching those things whereof you accuse him. And he says, By the way, neither did Herod. Look at verse 15. No nor yet Herod, for I sent you to him, and lo, nothing worthy of death is done unto him. And then in verse number 16, Pilate says, I will therefore chastise him and release him. That's the second time. And then if you look at verse 20, watch what he says here. Beginning in verse 20, Pilate therefore willing to release Jesus a third time, spake again to them. But they cried, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And he said unto them the third time, Why? What evil has he done? I have found no cause of death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. Oh my goodness. He says, I'll send him away. That doesn't work. Then he says, I'm going to release him. That doesn't work. So the next thing he says, he says, well, guess what? I'll just fold the tent, right? I'll just fold it, fold everything in, and I'll let you guys decide. I'll, I'll be a people pleaser. And that's exactly what he tries to do. Look in our text in Matthew 27. Back in Matthew 27. In verse number 17, Pilate says unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you? Watch this. He says, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ. You can also find him saying the same thing in Mark chapter 15, 15, in Luke 23, verses 18 and 19, and also John's gospel in chapter uh, 18 and verse 39 and 40, he says essentially the same thing. He tries to please the people. He says, I tried to send him away. That didn't work. I tried to release him. That didn't work. I'm trying to please the people. And I thought you would definitely want me to release Jesus knowing what kind of man Barabbas is. But then notice what he does. In verse 24 of our text, he says, guess what? I'm just going to wash my hands of the whole situation. And in verse 24, we read that he takes water and he washes his hands before the multitude saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. Now, folks, I got news for you. Pilate was not innocent in this grand scheme. He was just as guilty 
as the Jewish people. He was just as guilty as the religious leaders. He was just as guilty as anybody who was taking part in this illegal travesty of justice. But ultimately, having scourged Jesus, having flogged him, Pilate passes judgment on him. And in verse 24, the verse that I just read, look at the very end of the verse. Because the verse says that he washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I'm innocent of the blood of this just person. And then he says these words. He says, see ye to it. He says, you guys, he says, you guys take care of it. In Luke's gospel, in Luke 23, 24, God's word reveals that Pilate actually gave sentence that it should be as they required. Back in Matthew 27 and verse 26, Scripture says, Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when they had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Oh yes, my friends. The people answered. The chief priests and the rulers, they answered the question. Herod answered the question. Pilate answers the question. And so what we see in Scripture is that Jesus was tortured and crucified. And truly, it would be a sad state of affairs today. On Easter Sunday in 2020, it would be a sad state of affairs if that was the end of the story. Oh, but my friends, thank goodness. Oh, thank goodness. Thank God. As Paul Harvey used to say, that that was not the end of the story. See, the rest of the story is found in Scripture as well. And we know that after Jesus' crucifixion and death, the Bible tells us that Pilate gave his body to Joseph of Arimathea and that he and a man by the name of Nicodemus, who you can read about in John chapter 3, they, they took the body of Jesus and they wound his body in linens and wrapped spices around the body of Jesus Christ. And then they buried him, right? And, 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 and so they've placed Jesus in this tomb and they've buried him. But notice what takes place next. Look in Matthew 27. Look at verse 62. Because now we see, as Paul Harvey said, the rest of the story. <coughs> and in verse number 62, notice what the Bible says. Now, the next day that followed, the day of the preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees came together unto Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember that that deceiver, they called Jesus a deceiver. They say, we remember that that deceiver said while he was yet alive, after three days, I will rise again. Command, therefore, that the sepulcher be made sure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say unto the people, he is risen from the dead, so that the last heir shall be worse than the first. And Pilate said unto them, notice his answer. He says, you have a watch. Go your way and make it as sure as you can. So they went and made the sepulcher sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. Verse, chapter 28, look at verse 1. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, 
which was crucified. Notice verse 6. He is not here. Praise the Lord. He said, He is not here, for He is risen. As He said, Come, see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell His disciples that He is risen from the dead. And behold, He goeth before you into Galilee. And there shall ye see Him. Lo, I have told you. And notice verse number 8. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy and did run to bring His disciples word. How amazing is that? Verse number 6 tells us the good news today that He is not here. He is risen just as He said. Oh, praise the Lord. And every gospel account confirms what we see after the death of Jesus Christ. If you, if you look over across the page at verse number 50 of chapter 27, the Bible tells us that just as Jesus is dying, it says, and when Jesus had cried again with a loud voice, He yields up the ghost in verse 50. And then in verse 51, the Bible says, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And then notice everything that takes place. It says, and the earth did quake and the rocks rent and the graves were open and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of their graves after His resurrection. After Jesus rises from the dead, here come others. And it says they went into the holy city and appeared unto many. And verse 54 says, Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus, when they saw the earthquake and those things which were done, it says that they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. Oh yes, the people had answered the question, before Jesus' death, right? But after Jesus dies, seeing all the things that were taking place, the Roman centurion says, truly, this guy was the Son of God. In fact, Mark, in chapter 15 and verse number 39, the Bible puts it this way, by saying that when the centurion saw that he, Jesus, so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God after witnessing everything that had taken place, he was convinced that Jesus Christ was exactly who he said he was, the very Son of God. In Luke 23, in verse number 48, the Bible says that all the people, that they all came together to that site, beholding the things that were done after Jesus dies and they, they see the earthquake. They, they see what's taking place. And the Bible says that they smote themselves. It says that they smote their breasts and they returned. In other words, the centurion says this is the Son of God. But the, the Jewish people who are watching along, the multitudes of people who are watching, they start beating themselves on the chest because they recognize, they're conscious of their own guilt. They realize that they have just put to death the very Son of God. And they fear for what judgment might come upon them. In many ways, they were right. They were right to fear what would come upon them. And we know that God has a special place in His heart for the Jewish people. But you see what took place from the point of His crucifixion on down through history. Oh, certainly, they had great reason to smoke their breast. Oh, folks, truly, one way or another, every one of us answered this question that Pilate had. Remember, in verse 22 of our text, he simply said, what shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? Right? The chief priest said, we have no king but Caesar. 
The people who just days before had shouted out, Hosanna, blessed be the King who comes in the name of the Lord, right? They had shouted out these words of celebration. They had now shouted out, crucify Him. I think about His disciples, with the exception of John, right? Those that had followed Him closest had now forsook Him. And we look in Scripture and we see that even Pilate, he answers his own question. He, he tries to get rid of him. He tries to release him. He tries to please the people. He tries to wash his hands of him. And so everybody responds to the question. My question to you is, how will you respond? How will you respond to this question? And the reality is sometimes I think we try to ignore it. We try to ignore that question. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Christ. Over time, maybe you've heard about Jesus, you've talked about Jesus, but every one of us give an answer for what we will do with Jesus. And you may be watching this morning, and you may be a believer, right? You may be saying, hey, I've, I, I've already acknowledged the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I've actually asked Him to forgive me of my sins. Uh, you, you, may not have, you may not only have asked Him to forgive you of your sins, you may have followed the Lord Jesus Christ uh, through believer's baptism. You may be a member of uh, a local New Testament church, much like Battlefield Baptist Church. But the question I'm asking you today is, what will you do with Jesus today? Because I'm afraid that we live in a time when a lot of people celebrate the fact that Jesus is their Savior, but they don't consider Him their Lord. You see, if you're a believer here, I wonder if today you would be honest with yourself. Are you growing? Are you growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ? As 2 Peter 3.18 tells us, are you walking worthy in your life? Are you, are you living your life, if you please, in a way that brings God the honor and glory that He deserves. In fact, Ephesians 4 in verse number 1 tells us to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we are called, right, as believers. May, maybe you would answer this question, are you learning and developing your mind and heart to follow that humble and obedient example of Jesus as Paul wrote to the church at Philippi in Philippians 2? Listen, folks, if you're a believer and you're watching today, you have an incredible opportunity. Maybe it's been a long time since you have committed yourself to these, these biblical and God-honoring principles. Maybe today would be a wonderful opportunity. Easter Sunday, April the 12th, 2020, to recommit yourself in a way that you would live your life to bring Jesus honor and glory. I had a, a professor in Bible college who used to... Uh, tell us in class multiple times. He used to say, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. So I want to encourage you, set a goal every day to be better than you were the day before. And we can do that through the power that works in and through us. And that's the power of Jesus Christ. Now you may be watching the message this morning and and maybe you've never placed your faith in Jesus. Maybe, maybe you're listening to this message and you see the answer of the people and, and you're still contemplating what will you do with Christ. I want you to know first and foremost that God loves you. He loves you so much. The Bible is clear. He loves you so much that He willingly sent His only begotten Son. He sent Jesus, born of a woman, born of a virgin, 
down to this earth to live a sinless, spotless life. Jesus willingly came in humble obedience to the Father's will and He lived that life and He placed Himself upon a cross. He died for my sins. He died for your sins. He died for the sins of whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord. Right? He did that because He loves you. And the reality is after He died, He was buried. We know in a borrowed tomb. But the Bible reveals in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 that He arose from the grave. Right? He arose from the grave, conquering not only death, but He conquered the grave and He conquered that awful place called hell. Why? So that you and so that I could be forgiven. So that you and I could be redeemed or rescued for all eternity. And you may not think you need to be rescued, but I'm here to tell you we all need to be rescued. In fact, uh, I remember in the Garden of Eden when Adam sinned, Right? The Bible tells us that when he sinned, sin entered into the world. In Romans 5, and verse number 12, the Bible puts it this way by stating, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. In Romans 3, 23, the Bible confirms that by saying that all have sinned and come short of God's glory. Oh, listen. We're all sinners. I'm a sinner. We're all sinners. The Bible tells us in Romans 6 and verse 23 that the proper payment or the proper wage for sin is death. And when it says that at the beginning of the verse, it's speaking not only of spiritual death, but it's speaking of eternal death. But thankfully, because of God's love that I talked to you about, thankfully, because of His love, the verse doesn't end there. It actually goes on and tells us that His gift to you and I is that you and I can have eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 21 and 22. And he, and he wrote these words. He says, For since by man, speaking of Adam, came death, by man, speaking of Jesus, the Son of Man, the Son of God, came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Folks, what you and I do with Jesus Christ is the most important decision that we will ever make. In fact, someone much smarter than I once said it this way. They said, don't put off until tomorrow what you know you need to do today. It was C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, who was discussing uh, a number of things. And he put it this way. He said, Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or he is Lord. Every one of us answer that question. And so I pray that your answer will be that Jesus is Lord. Because Scripture is also clear and reveals to us that none of us have a so-called blank check on tomorrow. In the book of Proverbs chapter 27 and verse number 1, the Bible says, Boast not thyself for tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. James in James chapter 4 and verse number 14, he tells us that our life is like a vapor. It appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Oh, my friends, don't wait. Don't wait. Trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior today. 
By the way, I was thinking about this this week. Every one of us, whether you're a believer or uh, you've not trusted Christ yet, every one of us, I think every one of us, if we look close enough to God's Word, I believe that every one of us can see a little bit of ourselves in this man called Barabbas. You remember he's a notable prisoner. He was guilty of committing sedition and murder, also a robber. Now you may be saying, what are you talking about? I'm not a murderer. I'm not a robber. I'm not a notable prisoner. But here's what I want you to catch. Like Barabbas, who was a notable prisoner, uh, prisoner he, was, he was worthy of death. But think about it this way. Because of what Jesus did, because Jesus took his place, Barabbas was given another opportunity at life. And so are you, and so am I. We've all been given an opportunity not only to have an abundant life here and now, but to be able to celebrate with our Lord and Savior all throughout eternity, everlasting life. I love what Jesus said in John chapter 11, in verse 25 and 26. He said, I am the resurrection and, watch this, the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. And then in that text, he asks this final question. In speaking to Martha, he says, Believest thou this? And so I ask you, do you believe it? Oh, I pray you do. I pray that you believe that he is the resurrection and the life. I pray that you believe. Because if you do, he says that if we live and believe, we shall never die. I shared last week how John said in John 1, in verse number 5, he said, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. I like what Jesus said to his disciples in John chapter 14 and verse number 19. He said, because I live, ye shall also live. What an amazing Savior we serve today. Oh, happy Easter. Happy Resurrection Sunday. He is risen. He's not here, the angel said. He is risen just as he said. And so I pray that if the Spirit of God is moving in your heart today, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, I pray that you'll do it right now. Right now as we enter into a moment of prayer as we close our message. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you for the time that we've had to be in your word. And Lord, we are grateful for the opportunity that we could get together and to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Father, for those who are watching and listening and those who have already placed their faith in Jesus, I pray that today that they might recommit themselves to growing in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, that they might commit themselves to walking worthy in a way that represents Jesus well, that they might commit themselves to developing their mind and their heart to walk in obedience, but to walk in humility because we know that's not only biblical, but that would be God-honoring. Father, we just pray for those that are watching that have never called upon the name of the Lord, that right now in the quietness of this moment, that they would make that decision, that they would recognize Jesus as Lord, that they would understand that He was not a man, He was not a myth, He was not a liar, He was not a lunatic. He is the Messiah. He is Lord of Lords. He is King of Kings. 
that they would call out for the forgiveness of sin. And if that's you and if that's the desire of your heart, I would encourage you right there where you are in the quietness of this moment that you would simply, simply say a prayer and ask God to forgive you. And it's not about the words, but it's about the desire of your heart to open up and let Jesus come in. And so would you do that? Would you pray a simple prayer like this? Maybe you would say, Dear Jesus, I realize that I'm a sinner. And the best I know how at this time and at this place, I'm asking you to forgive me. Nobody had to tell me I'm a sinner, but I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin. I'm asking you to come in and, and to begin to change me from the inside out. Lord, I'm asking you to help me to uh, think those things, to say those things, to do those things that bring you honor and that bring you glory. Lord, help me to live my life in a way that is pleasing to you. I'm so thankful to know that you loved me and that you died for me. Lord, thank you for saving my soul. And you might conclude that prayer by saying amen. What I want you all to know is that if you said that prayer, that's exactly the prayer that you needed to say. It wasn't about the words. It was about the desire of your heart. Father, we thank you for the ones that may have called upon the name of the Lord today. We thank you for the time that we've had to be in your word. God, I pray that as we end our worship service today, God, I pray that we would take time to celebrate all the things that you have done for us, that we will talk about you with our children, that we will talk about you with our neighbors and our coworkers, and that today might be a day that we'll never forget, a day that we spent Easter together online, worshiping our Lord and Savior. God, we thank you and we love you and we pray that you'll continue to bless, that you'll continue to have your hand of protection on us. God, that you'll continue to give healing where it's needed. And we pray these things in Jesus' precious name and for his sake, amen. Guys, I love you. Uh, again, I'm all dressed up in an empty sanctuary. But I want you to know that I love you and I miss you. I look forward to seeing you so much. I can't wait till we can get together again soon. I pray that you'll have a great rest of your afternoon. God bless you. Take care.